Section 2 of The Ocean, A General Account of the Science of the Sea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jennifer Painter. The Ocean, A General Account of the Science of the Sea by John Murray. Methods and Instruments in making observations at the surface of the sea, all the ordinary methods and instruments in use among meteorologists and physicists are available, but whenever we commence to explore the deeper waters of the ocean, other methods must be adopted and other instruments invented. While functioning beneath the surface, the instruments are removed from direct observation and various contrivances must be used to control their action. The difficulties which have to be overcome add very greatly to the interest of all deep-sea investigations. Thermometers for deep-sea work must be protected from pressure on the bulb containing the mercury. A reversing thermometer may be used, but a contrivance must be arranged for reversing it after it has taken the temperature of the water at a given depth. Water bottles must be lowered empty or open both ends and closed at any given depth from which a sample may be desired. It is the same with the appliances for ascertaining the intensity and quality of sunlight at a given depth. The apparatus with the sensitive plates must be sent down closed, then opened to expose the plates, then closed again before being hauled to the surface. A great many of these operations are accomplished by sending messengers, small metal weights, down the line to release springs or to open catches. The time taken for these messengers to run down a line of two or three miles is very great, but with experience much time may be saved by letting the messengers go while the line is still running out. Another contrivance is an attached propeller which, on being pulled a few fathoms towards the surface, revolves and releases a spring, thus closing a bottle or reversing a thermometer. Sounding. During the Challenger expedition, some experiments were made with wire sounding lines, but fine hemp lines were always used in the regular work, and in very deep soundings, the time when each hundred fathom mark went over the ship's side was carefully noted. When there was a sudden change in the rate at which the line ran out, it was known that the bottom had been reached, and the depth was then recorded. Deep soundings, even in 4,000 fathoms, carefully taken in this way, are believed to be correct to within 25 fathoms. A marked advance was made when the late Lord Kelvin introduced piano wire for sounding purposes. In the Lucas sounding machine, see plate 1, which at the present time is the one most in use, the moment when the weight strikes the bottom is automatically indicated on the machine and the running out of the wire is stopped. Soundings taken with this machine are believed to be correct to within one fathom, even in deep water. A sounding in 2,000 fathoms now requires about 45 minutes from start to finish, i.e. from the time the lead is let go till it is hauled on deck with a sample of the bottom deposit, and one in 3,000 fathoms about 75 minutes. The Challenger's deepest sounding in 4,475 fathoms occupied about two and a half hours. 
The single-strand piano wire used for sounding is only about one-twentieth of an inch in diameter. A three-strand wire of the same diameter is also used, while a seven-strand wire with a diameter of one-sixteenth of an inch has recently come into use in the Navy. The stranded wire used with water bottles and thermometers is about one-eighth of an inch in diameter. Trawling and dredging during the Challenger expedition, strong hempen lines were used. Sometimes a hempen line eight miles in length was out astern of the ship when trawling in 3,000 fathoms. A very great advance was subsequently made when the late Alexander Agassiz introduced wire ropes about one-third of an inch in diameter for these operations. The use of piano wire for sounding and steel rope for trawling and dredging is now almost universal. The dredges used on board the Challenger, see plate one, were three to five feet in width, and the trawls had beams ten to seventeen feet in length, the smaller size being used in very deep water. On board the Challenger, a trawling in three thousand fathoms used often to take from twelve to fourteen hours. The trawls and dredges are now of many different designs, from the smallest oyster dredge to the large otter trawl with a span of 50 feet. This latter appliance was used successfully by the Michael Sars expedition of 1910 in 3,000 fathoms. See plate one. Tow nets and vertical nets. For capturing the animals and plants swimming or floating at the surface and in intermediate waters, various forms of tow nets have been devised. Those used during the Challenger and other early expeditions were simply long bags of muslin or bunting or silk tapering from the metal hoop forming the mouth, about a foot in diameter, to the opposite closed end of the net. They were towed horizontally with a weight fixed on the line a short distance in front of the opening or vertically by being tied to the sounding or dredging line. See plate one. Subsequently, much larger nets and pelagic trawls have been employed, and many attempts have been made to construct nets and traps that could be opened and closed at any desired depth. The material of which such nets is now made is the same as that used by millers in separating the various grades of flour. It is a very fine silk, made with meshes of various sizes, the finest make having about 6,000 to 6,500 meshes to the square centimetre. The meshes are pentagonal in shape and the web is so constructed that they are not easily distorted. During the recent Michael Sars expedition, various nets, both open and closing, and pelagic trawls were used with varying success, but the best results were obtained by towing simultaneously for long distances a number of pelagic appliances, sometimes as many as ten, attached to two lines at certain definite intervals, so that the approximate depth of each hall was known. See plate one. The results obtained were then controlled by using vertical closing nets. Centrifuge. Recent pelagic investigations have shown that a great many marine organisms are so small that they pass through the meshes of even the finest silk nets. These minute organisms may be studied by centrifuging samples of seawater taken by the water bottle from various depths. The Michael Sars used a large centrifuge 
driven by one of the small steam winches on board. This had six glasses, and as much as 1,200 cubic centimetres of seawater could be centrifuged at one time. It made 700 to 800 revolutions in one minute, and after eight minutes the organisms were all collected at the bottom of the glasses. The clear water was then poured away, and the deposit after being rinsed was put into a smaller glass with a tapering bottom, where it was subjected to the action of a small hand centrifuge, such as is used by physiologists. In this way, all the contents of, say, 300 cc's of seawater were collected in one drop, which was examined in a counting chamber beneath the microscope. Deep-sea thermometers. Six's maximum and minimum thermometer was one of the earlier forms used in taking deep-sea temperatures and, as modified by Miller and Casella, was the one mostly in use during the Challenger and other expeditions of the same or an earlier period. This thermometer is satisfactory for work in the open ocean, where the temperature as a rule decreases gradually from surface to bottom. Towards the polar regions, and in some enclosed seas, however, layers of different temperatures may lie one above another, and such conditions would not be disclosed by the sixth form of thermometer. It has, therefore, been replaced to a large extent by another form, which may be reversed, and the temperature thereby registered at any desired depth. The reversing thermometer, see plate one, is sent down with the bulb lowermost. There is a narrowing of the tube just above the bulb, and the length of the column of mercury above the constriction depends upon the temperature. On being reversed, the mercury is broken off at the constriction, the bulb being now uppermost, and the column of mercury that was above the constriction falls down, the temperature at that moment of reversal being read off in the reversed position. The reversing thermometer has been modified and improved by Negretti and Zambra and by Richter, so that at the present day it is a very efficient instrument. Occasionally an error may be introduced by the faulty formation of the constriction, which may lead to the mercury not always being broken off at the same point. Now that the greatest possible accuracy is called for in deep-sea work, it is not unusual to send down two reversing thermometers side by side in order to obtain corroboration as to the actual temperature at the depth of reversal. Water bottles. Recently, a reversing water bottle has come into use, designed to carry one or two reversing thermometers, so that a temperature reading and a water sample are secured at one and the same time. See plate one. Another method of attaining this object is by means of insulating water bottles, which protect the contained samples from temperature changes while being hauled up to the surface, so that the temperature of a sample immediately on being brought on board may be supposed to indicate practically the temperature at the depth where the apparatus was closed. An instrument of this kind is the Peterson Nansen insulating water bottle. For obtaining a water sample from the surface, an ordinary bucket may be used, and in quite shallow water, a stoppered bottle may be sent down attached to the line in such a way that a jerk pulls out the stopper. In deeper water, a stopcock water bottle was employed during the Challenger expedition for intermediate samples and a slip water bottle for bottom samples. Photometer. 
for investigating the penetration of sunlight into the sea and the intensity and composition of that light at different depths various forms of photometric apparatus have from time to time been employed the latest is that designed by b helland hansen see plate one and used by him successfully during the recent cruise of the michael sars in the north atlantic it consists of a framework on which two cubes fitting one inside the other slide up and down the smaller cube having five openings one on each of the four sides and one on the top for the exposure of photographic plates with or without colour filters the cubes are carried into the dark room and the plates are placed in the smaller cube which is then enclosed inside the larger cube and thus effectually protected from the light the two cubes are suspended in the upper part of the frame and the apparatus is lowered to the desired depth when a messenger is sent down the line to release the smaller cube which falls to the bottom of the frame thus exposing the plates after the necessary interval a second messenger is sent down to release the larger cube which falls and covers the smaller one thus ending the exposure the apparatus is hauled up and the cubes taken into the dark room for the development and fixing of the plates current measurements for measuring the velocity and direction of currents in the sea many devices have been employed information regarding surface currents may be obtained from the drift of floating objects such as drift bottles wreckage icebergs vessels frozen in the ice of polar regions and movements of water masses at the surface and under it may often be traced by studying their physical and chemical properties temperature salinity dissolved gases for the direct measurement of undercurrents it is necessary to use a current meter of somewhat complicated construction the latest form is that designed by v w ekman hydrometers the direct determination of density may be made by means of the hydrometer a glass cylinder which floats in water densities so found are recalculated by means of tables to a standard temperature owing to the uniform composition of sea salts a definite density at a definite temperature corresponds rigidly to a definite salinity hence by referring to tables the salinity of seawater can be found from its density at standard temperature densimeter for the determination of the relative densities of seawater samples a differential densimeter was recently introduced by j j manley it is somewhat complicated in design and was at first intended for use in a laboratory on shore the apparatus has been modified so as to adapt it for use on board ship and a series of observation has been carried out by n p campbell during a voyage to ceylon on board one of the orient mail steamers apparently with good results for methods of determining salinity see chapter three end of section two